Hello, this is Caleb, and welcome to the movie that changed my life. I'm here with special guest star, Jared, my brother. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm good. We just, I got to watch uh, The Goonies, which I probably haven't watched in... Gosh, man, I don't even know. For reals? Maybe since, call it, ten years? I wait, don't wait, know. we have to do this the right way. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, today we ask you the all-important question, what is the movie that changed your life? Yeah, well, you know, as your brother, I know that you've asked other people this question, and uh, I'll be honest, it was an intimidating question. I wasn't sure how to answer it. And uh, I think there was especially... Hard to pick one. Yeah, I guess it was just interpreting, what do you mean by changing life? And there's a few answers that kind of flooded my head when you first asked me that. I think in college is when I, at some point in college, I was being exposed to more music and art. Um, in film, there was some point there when I kind of realized, oh, a director made this. And before that point in college, I don't know if I really understood that there was different directors. Um, it was like I played guitar, right? Mm-hmm. And when I first was learning guitar, people would say, oh, a Martin's a nice guitar, right? Or this is nice, like uh, with electric guitar, you know, a Telecaster is pretty solid, or this Les Paul. And, but me, I didn't have an ear to it. Just all guitars sounded the same. What do you mean it sounds nice, right? It's just kind of like... I remember in high school you did a report on how the electric guitar revolutionized music. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, anyways, just saying if someone you know, if someone played a piano, I couldn't tell you that the piano sounds nice unless it's out of tune or something. And somewhere around college I began to like uh, differentiate between nope, I could see the director's thumbprint in this movie and it's mm. separate from the rest. Uh, just like eventually if you spend enough time with guitar you'd hear oh this is what a, a martin sounds like versus a fender whatever it is so and so maybe i was thinking along those lines first of what movie changed my life and i i almost went with the movie where i began to see that kind of like um i don't know if it's the right word like idiosyncratic if you will um mm-hmm. touch on films and by an, an art tour maybe right? yeah like, writer director, like blue velvet from david lynch yeah uh, i watched that along with like twin peaks and started to feel Wow, that's very unique. Yeah. Wes um, Anderson is another example. Yeah, Wes Anderson and... Um, I'm gonna bl- I forget to jump here. Luke Dart. No, okay. <laughs> no the uh, director... Paul Thomas Anderson. From, no, from Amelie. Well. Oh, yeah, him, that guy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there are some movies where I thought, like, yeah. that began to show me that world. and. But when you said change my life... Um, well, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Boy... I picked the movie. Okay, no, but what I oh. meant by the question is... Oh, now I, now I know after I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the title comes from a book called The Movie That Changed My Life where a bunch of directors are interviewed. Oh. And they're saying, this is the movie that captured my imagination and made me say, I want to do that. I want to tell stories through this medium of film. Interesting. It made me think about film differently. Huh. Like, oh, I now know there's... Someone wrote this, someone directed this, someone did the costumes, and I like it, and I want to play in that playground. Gotcha. Well, it, I guess... It impacted me and made me a fan, yeah. and, like, captured my imagination. Well, I guess that's kind of coincidence, because that's, that's along the lines of almost exactly what this movie is to me. Mm-hmm. And when you say change my life, how does film change people's life? I think film... There comes a point when you realize film is an escape, and it could, like totally transports you mm. to another world, and allows you to like go on an adventure with people, or like, and there's just like that. 
the alternate reality of going to the silver screen and like going to theater and just like experience something and you forget that the world exists for those two hours. Yeah. And and the Goonies to me yeah, and the Goonies to me was the first um just where I was totally just enveloped into I mean obviously as a kid you're gonna be enveloped with like, you know, Sesame Street or whatever it was. But in the eighties, Goonies comes out and that was uh really the first film where I was just I was I was conscious that I was kind of like enthralled with with this something, and um, with like just the the story and the characters and um, all the facets about it. So that's why I picked the Goonies. And it's a perfect storm of people involved in this. This idea of escaping into fantasy and wonder and adventure. That's what Steven Spielberg built his career on. That's what he was known for. I mean, this followed two Indiana Jones movies, which our childhood, we grew up watching Star Wars, watching Indiana Jones, watching Jaws. Sure. You know, Close Encounters, Jurassic Park. Or even, in, I mean, even more modern ones, like, um, what was that one with uh, Tom Cruise where they the come out of the ground, the monsters? And War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, yeah. yeah. We'll talk about that later. So. Yeah, and... Um, you know, Richard Donner, who directed this, uh, a couple of years earlier, who did Superman the movie, which I didn't discover until high school, and it became one of my favorite movies. And when you see Sloth wearing that Superman shirt the whole time, that's him referencing himself as the guy who directed oh, yeah. that, you know. Uh, I mean, what a trip watching it now as an adult. And be, like I talked earlier about being able to recognize a director in the film. And now as an adult watching it, I could. To- I mean, Spielberg's yeah. all over this, even though it was directed by... Donner, yeah. who's just these... Um, but it's the well, last movie Spielberg wrote, which is interesting. Oh, he wrote the story of it, then Chris Columbus did the screenplay. Columbus, too, is is all over it with, I mean, his physical comedy of just with yeah. from Home Alone... To two Harry Potters, to Gremlins, and there's a reference to Gremlins in this that he threw in. Yeah. Where the, the sheriff says to Chunk, yeah, that you told us that lie about... Uh, feeding those creatures after... No, getting those creatures wet, that multiplied. <laughs> a lot of inside jokes and nudges. And I think it's cool, worth noting, 85, my favorite movie of all time, Back to the Future, came out the same year, and Spielberg uh, he produced that with Robert Zemeckis. So the guy was, was all over, just producing classic after classic. Everybody wanted to work with Spielberg, and Spielberg was great at matching the right director with the right project, with the right mm. producer. Mm. Interesting. You know? Yeah. I mean, this is Warner Brothers. Back to the Future was um, Universal. You know, he was in different studios. Uh, one thing that I noticed or really liked about this movie is... Um, I mean, I, I feel like being born in the 80s and, it, you know, growing up with stuff yeah. like this. You're born the year it came out, 85. Yeah, I was, yeah. Um, we, were, we were allowed a childhood pre-internet, right, pre-computer. Mm-hmm. And so, and if, and I, and that almost, um, let me back up here. So what that allows us to do is we had all our toys were like these very like, um, not industrial, but like they made sense of how they worked. It was like a tape recorder. Or yeah. like, you know, like Data's Gadgets. Or like, I remember having this book called Everything... Analog, almost. Yeah, very analog. This book called like Everything Your Parents Are Afraid Of or something like that, but you, you can know <laughs> right. about it, right? And, and it was kind of these contraptions of like, you know, the box tilts over and it spills some rice onto like a weight and the weight lifts up and hits this balloon that like pops and a train yeah. comes around and... I've feed, seen the Goonies, yeah. Yeah, like it feeds your goldfish at the end of it or something like that, right? <laughs> like, 
You had a book about <laughs> making those machines. Yeah, I'm making right? these machines. Because, like, that's the playlist. And I feel like part of that reason this is special is because, like, that's the childhood we had was, like, you, like, kind of, like, invent things. And, like, and I just remember, like, building forts as a kid and, like... You know, I remember our neighbor had this um, trailer that was parked in the back, and we made it into our fort. And, you know, we had to build a bathroom. Tom Pac-Man? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, with the pipe. Yeah. So, you know, we're playing there for hours, just like, you know, with, like, card decks, and I didn't even know what. Yeah. But we had a, you know, we, quote, unquote, made a bathroom, which was just, like, a PVC pipe with, like, that we just... That we just, <laughs> that we just pissed into it and went outside. Pissed in the pipe. And now I just feel like, you know, with... You lose all that type of, like, childhood innocence and fantasy when, like, the smartphone's out. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like the generation of kids, they just, like, they have Snapchat and, like, all these, you know, they could look up anything on their phone and, like, they don't have to be creative to be entertained. Like, they just, mm. they just get entertained when we had to entertain ourselves. And so, I guess that's, like, a, a huge part of the draw to me. Because that type of um, kind of, like, youthful wonder has always stuck with me. I think that's part of my character is just, like, I'm inquisitive and, like, I'm willing to, like, test and explore and, like... Yeah. Um, You're a big kid at heart, you know? Yeah. Uh, and Spielberg almost invented, like, the suburban childhood, you know, of, you know, from E.T. to different things. Taking place in the suburb, kids riding bikes up mountains. Totally. Kids skateboarding, E.T., you know? yeah. Like, you know... And um, and that was our experience. I mean, living with our grandparents in Agora, riding yeah, bikes around you go, the neighborhood, you play kickball with the kids hiking on the street. trails. And, yeah, you know. or you just you were just allowed to just go into the mountains and just run around with your bike. Yeah, you know, and your wagon or whatever it was, and catch fish in the stream. You know, like it was just. I, I mean, just think, just even like how politic politically concerned. No, I'm sorry, politically correct. Everyone has become, uh, just almost even disallows or just. For some of like the natural, like how children are gonna feel awkward or like they're gonna vocalize things to sound superior or intelligent when they really don't know what they're talking about, and you know even just use the use of foul words. Like today's kind ch- of children, this is PG, you know, yeah. <laughs> and we were laughing just about. I mean, there should be a drinking game for how many times the word shit is said in this movie. <laughs> Kids saying shit never gets old. I think. And, or, 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 you know, they're, they're playing around with gluing on a penis back on the statue. <laughs> on the statue of David. Upside down. Saying, that was my mom's favorite piece. Yeah, they would <laughs> never, that. can you imagine, they would never fly today. Like, yeah. Talking about organizing the drugs and the drugs. Or, or some of, like, the, <laughs> the stereotypical, heroin. just, like, the fat kid, the Asian kid, and, like, just... Yeah. Those types of things uh, can't happen anymore, I don't know. Yeah. Those guys have a great sense of humor. For sure. And Spielberg was kind of of the age of... He kind of grew up with, like, Looney Tunes, if you will, like, in the 60s. Well, actually, before the 60s, in the 40s, and they re-aired them in the 60s. But point being, those guys, they made movies for themselves. It was just okay for kids. They weren't trying to make a kid's movie. Yeah. They were trying to entertain themselves. Yeah. And you see that when, a decade later, in the 90s, Spielberg produced, what, Animaniacs... Freakazoid, very you know, yeah, very adult. Uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. He was making stuff for himself because he's a big kid at heart, and this is his humor. Yeah. You know? I mean, p- part of this is just this movie's also kind of flawless. It's just so it's quintessential mystery. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have kids in an attic with with a lightning storm. 
and a bunch of inventions and a cave and a treasure map. And it's in a woodsy area. I mean... It's a bromance. Some of me wants to question, where did like this attic trope, if that's the right word, even come from? Mm-hmm. Where did the mystery in the attic come from? Was that this movie? I mean... Definitely the pirate trope, I mean, Swiss Family Robinson or, oh, yeah, that or Treasure or Treasure Island. Um, but something about... But the attic, true, is, is a unique... The mystery in the attic? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I feel like it goes back quite a ways. Actually, no, there was a series from like the 60s or 70s. Um, that the had dark, attic in the title, right? The Dark is a Rising. Uh, or even, you know what? Even um, Chronicles of uh, the Magician's Nephew is in the attic. That goes back pretty far. C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways... Yeah, this, sometimes it's a basement or an attic, but But just like the foggy town, you know, with yeah. real woods riding bikes through it. Like, that's just Spielberg. Yeah. yeah. And there are, a, you know, there is some of the Scooby-Doo DNA in this, which, you know, solving yeah, the mystery and the gang together. The the formula of, of Scooby-Doo that turned Hanna-Barbera into this hugely successful... Um, company was the traveling teenagers, the five teenagers, or really four and a dog, you know. The, it was the four traveling teenagers and a sidekick yeah. that started that formula, and the, there was this new Scooby-Doo series on Cartoon Network a few years ago, and it took place essentially in Oregon. It was it was northern, west coast. It was, mm. you know, Pacific Northwest, and that's just, you know, a perfect area for Pacific that kind of west, storytelling. Yeah, just lush, yeah. You know. And I know that area has a you know interest for you. Um, it's you gorgeous. Know, yeah, you've been up there, and it's just it's woodsy, and it's it's romantic, and it's cool. And yeah, well, I mean, it's a special place wherever the forest meets the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's cool that all these directors working on the West Coast, that a lot of these movies can take place out here, and that's relatable for us and accessible to us. A lot of Back to the Future was filmed in Pasadena and Burbank, you know? Yeah. In familiar suburbs. So that's cool, you know, versus something less relatable in a big East Coast city or, or whatever. If I have to get back to why, why, why did this movie change my life? Yes. I, you know, I want to say it's because of, and I, this probably, you said Spielberg wrote this movie, right? He wrote the story, yeah. He yeah. wrote it's just this, um, the innocence and kind of like um, naivete of like just children and, and just what they're willing to believe and create in their minds. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I mean, you know, I grew up reading like Goosebumps and watching like Eerie Indiana and Are You Afraid of the a Dark. A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, Wrinkle in Time I liked, or A Dark is Rising, another series that I liked, and Narnia, and didn't never read Tolkien until I was later, older, but um, yeah, just... I st- it's just still so much in my being where I'll be driving, you know, I don't know, to work or something, and I'll drive by, like, an old kind of craftsman house with some conifers and, you know, big cone trees in front of the house and stuff, and and it's kind of, like, maybe a little run down. And just remembering, like, man, an old house that's kind of decrepit has, like, so much... My mind just wants to start running with all the stories in there. Yeah. You know? And I used to explore those as kids. and Yeah, yeah. Or, like, what is it just about, like... I mean, we didn't grow up in a woodsy town. We were in, you know, Los Angeles suburbs. But mm-hmm. um, what is it about the woods, the fog in the woods, that just, like, creates total suspense? You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe going to summer camp. It's nature's playground, you know? It's... Yeah. 
and and there's just it's still so much a part of just how I think and feel. And there's been times where I've tried to start writing stories down, you know, or um, or, or most of them just kind of are through dialogue explaining kind of where my head goes stuff. But it's still just so much a part of me of um, just the fun that you had as a kid with an imagination. Yeah, yeah. I know you're a you're a John Muir fan. He talks about you know like the woods are your home. It's like returning home. Sure, yeah. There's something that feels so right about it. And, yeah. You know, because you're like back with nature in a way. Yeah, well, with nature. Yeah, he says um, some like some of the lines like thousands of um, overworked or nerve shaken men are beginning to find out that going to the mountains is going home. Mm-hmm. That wilderness is a necessity, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and Oregon's a great example of that. Yeah, it's real pretty. Yeah, and and not even just the caves and stuff like that. I guess is part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, could you um, relate something? Right, where I was going to say, can you relate to this? Um, uh, there was a different word that begins with an R that I was thinking of, that I can't think of. Um, you you identify with these kids. Sure. You know, because maybe you had similar adventures running around. And or it was, they pre, they represent the ideal childhood mm. that you wanted to have. Yeah. You know, it's like, and you had a piece of it, and then you would have loved to have taken it a step further. Or when I have kids, who I want them to have. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So you want to pass that on to the next generation of. And and that almost comes back to Caleb of uh, looking at how how directors impact. You know, now as an adult, I could watch The Goonies and see. Spielberg's writing on it, you know, mm-hmm. um, or Chris's kind of direction in it. And they did, you're right, they did create, like, what it meant to be a kid in the 80s. Yeah, you know? absolutely. They created kind of the standard of, like... When it was, like, it's Reagan's America, the economy's good, the parents maybe are too busy for the kids, they're off working, the kids are kind of left alone with their imagination... You know, it wasn't in a the, safe but boring place. Yeah, it's not one. It's not like the fifties, but it's like the next fifties was like growing up in the eighties. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was like the fifties generation two. X. I mean, that's yeah, like we're all we all like, our parents are making. You know, the economy was nice. We make decent money, and like there was still kind of this. Although there was like the, all these modern kitchen appliances and stuff, it was still kind of like the kids can go play with the neighborhood, and that's fine. And now I feel like you got you. The only time that, that happens is. Either like in really, I don't know. I won't say anything. Never mind. I just feel like it happens less, but I'm not a father yet, so. No, it's cool. And then I, th- I think that the term is frat pack that Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola and Zemeckis, um, mm-hmm. they were kind of the first generation of filmmakers that went to film school, and directly wanted to do that s- since high school. Mm. And uh, you know, he went to Long Beach. Uh, Cal State Long, Cal State Long, Long Beach. Beach. Spielberg oh, went to Cal State Long Beach. Uh, but, like, you know, USC and these schools, so... These guys, like... It was a career path for them from an early age. That... So you think some of the innocence of... One was Spielberg, born in the 50s, you think? 40s? Um, yeah, he's probably... He made Jaws when he was 27, and that was in 1975. No way. So subtract 30 years like from 50. 75. Yeah, yeah, 50, yeah. And he, well, I mean, he's a wonderkind. He's, 40, you know, yeah. he's a, whatever they call Mozart, a prodigy. Yeah. Yeah. He's basically, he's our greatest living filmmaker. But, I mean, I guess, 
I mean, do you want to talk about just the how comedy back then was so very physical and that in the eighties? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yet it's interesting that this movie is about parents who can't pay for the house and that they want to build a strip mall there. Hmm. Right? It wasn't a strip mall. It was something. Golf country club? It was like, yeah, they said, oh, a golf course is going to be standing. Yeah, I'll be teeing off on your front lawn. Yeah, country club, something. Where even that shows, like, this changing of priorities of they have this great house, they can walk to the ocean, they can walk to the woods, and yet the affluent people of the neighborhood, it's a changing neighborhood where the new people want to build a golf course right in the middle of these beautiful woods and, and harbor. Yeah. yeah. like I know, it's crazy. Build a golf, you know, build a golf course well, somewhere I mean, else. It's, it's a good... That's not on prime real estate. conflict that runs through the whole thing. It's everyone to Yeah. But I, I was just talking about, like, you know, I mean, I think of all these, all these movies that came out in the 90s and it's... Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up with, we grew up with Grandma watching Will and Hardy, you know what I mean? And so we yeah, were, we Marshall the Wooden Soldier. <laughs> yeah, we were used to some type of physical... Slapstick, yeah. ...stuff. But, uh, but you know, post 9-11, everything just got so dark. <laughs> like, it was, there was a, the comedy came more black, and, like, there was just less of just kind of this jovial, like, banana slipping, like, pan frying to the head, frying pan to the head... Uh, type humor <laughs> but I'm just such a I almost picked Dumb and Dumber just because of it's still just the funniest movie to me and, yeah, a, and a lot of it's just that so was physical. childhood yeah that's, that's yeah, that, that, living that color um, defies S- a generation that defies the 90s a movie like Dumb and Dumber well even just look at who was on SNL at that time like you know Chris Farley like yeah. these were all like physical comedians yeah, not all of them but yeah they're all like that they're, they're comedians with their whole bodies even yeah. if they weren't, you know, falling downstairs or anything. So. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm just still a total sucker for that type of humor. and um, Which today it seems not, I mean, those type of movies just flop. Like the, the new, <laughs> that new Laurel and Hardy flick that came out like a few years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, The Three Stooges. The th- or sorry, the three yeah, The Three Stooges. Yeah. That was, I don't think that's part of the market <laughs> anymore. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah, times, times do change. I don't know, Budapest Hotel was kind of like that, I guess. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so, what is this movie about? Goonies? Yeah. What, what I and like about it is that um, there's always something pushing the plot forward. So, when the kids find the map, they go to the restaurant, which is supposed to be the beginning of the tunnel, where the entrance is. And they have to go down through the fireplace because the... I want to get their name right. They're Fratolis? Fratolis? Fratolis. Fratolis. Fratalis. Fratalis. The Fratali mother and kids. Right, yeah. Oh, that is Joe Pantaloni. I thought that was. That's Cypher from The Matrix. And he went on to do... um, Home Alone. He was one of the villains in Home Alone. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the kids cast who made it post this film and then who never <laughs> made a movie again. <laughs> oh, Sean Astin anchors the movie as Mikey. He uh, he has asthma. He has braces. Oh, it's just he's so sympathetic. So sympathetic. It's too but much. such a sweet kid. Yeah. He really is the the blank slate hero that is the audience's entry point into I, the story. I know in cinema, um, a- Asian. <laughs> Actors still kind of struggle to get real mainstay plays. <laughs> I don't think um, Richard Wang. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's uh, the 
Keith That's an in movie. Kwan. Name. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not quite right. Hugh Kwan. I don't know if he got much. Now, I think Temple of Doom was a year earlier. I think I want to say that was 84. But post that. It was 84, yeah. Yeah, Indian Jones and that, and there's a f- Encino Man, and that was and, about uh, it. <laughs> he not worked much. as a stunt choreographer for X-Men. I think, same thing with the, the child girl, Andy, who's probably every middle school kid's dream. Crush. Yeah, yeah, crush when that came out. Uh, didn't do too much. Corey Feldman, though, was a huge asset to this movie. This is the child star of child stars. This guy was coming off a string of successes. He, this guy could not be stopped. Yeah, Stand By Me. He was a voice of the fox in the hand. Fox in the hound. So, yeah, Gremlins to Goonies oh, to yeah. Stand By Me to Lost Boys. Oof. The Burbs. Oh, the Burbs, awesome. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Donatello's yeah. voice. The voice of Donatello. Oh, man, that looks like it's going to be a total disaster. <laughs> yeah, the new Michael Bay production. And that's the thing. I mean, you could look. There's a perfect parallel. Look at kind of just, like, the comedy of what the initials were and what made that so, like... Um, it spoke to us for those reasons, and now it just looks terrible. Yeah, you really have to find something that's a product of its time. Um, yeah. Not a, not a lot of kid protagonists, I guess. These days. I mean, uh, The Hole was a good example. That was Joe Dante, who did The Gremlins and stuff. Uh, it, well, Spielberg did... Um, uh, not Section 9. Uh, what's <laughs> it called? District 9? No, not District 9. Super 8. Super eight. Yeah. Yeah. Was, Abrams. That was a Yeah. A that was that was Abrams' love letter to Spielberg and did a great job with it. Oh that's J.J. Abrams. Yeah, and it was really cool. And you can tell produce it. Um, one thing too that separates these, you know, some of these eighties, even early nineties movies from what we have today is and again this is technology. Back then you have Data's gadgets and, you know, slick shoes. Mm-hmm. This pu- the, the punching glove that he's been hiding some his coat the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it all types of things. Yeah, there's no CGI. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's very inventive. It's all sets. And that's like, I mean, even even um, Chris... Um, Nolan? No, no, oh. the director. Oh, Chris Columbus? Chris Columbus said, you know, that, that when the kids come down those water slides... Uh, he had built a whole set in a giant cave with a big pirate ship in it where they filmed you know, the last 30 minutes of that movie. But he never showed the actors, the, mm. the kid actors. Uh, and even, so the, the, that first look that they have when they're turning around after they come out of the water and look at the ship, that's their genuine reaction to just how magnificent the set is. And, yeah, very real. And, and, and the audience picks it up too. And I, I think I mentioned earlier um, War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's some sets in there that like make those those scenes powerful. Yeah, the crash plane is, is a yeah. real set that's on the Universal backlot today. And I think about you know I just watched drawer. the the second Hob- Hobbit, the Desolation of Smog, mm-hmm. and I know that's New Zealand CGI, so it's not quite as strong as some of the CGI we have here. But it's just wouldn't you rather see like sets for some of that stuff than just like these? No, that's I'm talking about the CGI, the characters, but yeah, sets to me is still. Trump CGI. Yeah, and Lord of the Rings is particularly strong in that regard. New yeah. Zealand. Beautiful place. Gorgeous. Um, so, yeah, so I like that there's always something moving the plot forward. They, they have to go through the tunnels because the Fratellis are up there. And then the pipes break, so they have to keep moving forward. They can't move back. Oh, yeah. there's, there's sort of this element of just fate... 
that's propelling them forward, you know, like, like it's their destiny. They, they have this, this romantic, you know, mystical idea. At least Mikey does, and he's kind of the heart and soul of this. Yeah. You know, they have to keep moving forward. There's a name for the gang. The only way out is through, you know. Yeah. They have to go through it. And, and doesn't every kid, like, just die for that? Like, well, don't they just, everyone just wants that so bad to get caught up in something where they, the only way out is through. Yeah, and the, you have this, this great point, and what you see in every Disney movie, it's the end of the first act, when the hero character wants something, and he says what he wants, and in this case, he wants the, one final adventure. The violins come in. And he really wants to save his town, to save his house, and find the treasure to pay for it. But he wants one final hurrah with his friends. And from that moment forward, the aunt is rooting for this character and, and on board with him. Yeah. You know, another great moment that has become legendary is the wishing fountain. And uh, Mouth, the, the woman, says, you can't take this money. Those are someone's wishes that they threw down there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It gets all melodramatic for Follow that logic. <laughs> and Mouth is like, well, this one right here, this is my wish. This is my dream. And I'm taking it back. I never got it. <laughs> and just... the conviction in which they deliver these lines with is so beautiful and so pure. Yeah, it gets a little <laughs> serious for a second. <laughs> it does, and Sloth is a huge asset to this movie. Oh, man. What a just eternal character. Yeah, he is one of the Goonies. He has the childlike innocence. He's a total child. Yeah. And it's like all the adults mistreat him, but the kids love him and are on his side. And it just shows like they're so tolerant of each other. They're outcasts and misfits who accept each other. And, and that's, you know, a lesson there, too. You have the contrast of, you know, you always have the jock character who's going to be the jerk. Who's... <laughs> Who's trying to, you know, get with Andy or whatever. Yeah. Or someone who's messing with them in the convenience store. Yeah, I think, uh, I remember, I almost didn't believe it, but as a kid I swore that I saw this scene with mm -hmm. an octopus in it. And I remember years later, uh, maybe I had it around end of high school or something like that, watched Goonies again. And I was waiting for the scene to come up because I had this, this kind of distant memory that there was an octopus in it. And, uh, and the, the scene never came. I was like, I, that must, I must have dreamt it. I just totally remember this uh, octopus scene. But then at the end of the movie, they have Data saying, you know, there is an octopus. Yeah, that's right. And so this was, you know, we watched the Blu-ray. And I was like, well, if I haven't, I just still had this kind of distant memory. I was like, if it exists, it will be in this kind of retake of this set but and it turns out it was a deleted scene and um what what happens when you air stuff on tv is that they get paid per minute for as long as the thing is and i think this aired on disney where they took out some of the crew jokes and to increase the running time they added that deleted scene i'm serious if you want a fun drinking game 
have a shot every time someone says shit. Yeah. Most of them are stacked in the front. Ten minutes in. <laughs> yeah, most of them are stacked in the first ten minutes. So the rest of the movie will be fun to watch. It's right after Mikey's mom says, like, don't use that language. Like, you're going to be in deep, and then and then When she first, when she first comes in, and they've glued the penis upside down. <laughs> She's yeah. like, what is that? And then Chunk is like, oh, shit. He's like, what? Oh, shit. <laughs> She points to the the chips on the floor. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's great. I love kids cussing. Um, yeah, there was this there's this three hour cut of Superman the movie that aired on ABC like in Australia. <laughs> Just because they got you know more money for airing the whole thing. Oh, and I found you. it online and I watched it. It was cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> Even, like, it happens with Richard Donner a lot, because he did Lethal Weapon, and they did a director's cut of it that he had, like, no say in, and it made it longer and stuff. So, stuff like that happens. I'm a fan that this should be turned into a roller coaster ride. It, I know it would fit perfectly in Disneyland. I know that Disney doesn't own it, but... Yeah, I could definitely see that popping up somewhere. A water slide, something... No, just, um, you know, you're basically on a coaster through this tunnel that they're in for the majority of the film. The pipes, the wishing well, the types of things. Empties out into the big where the ship is and boulders. Yeah, like and a Space Mountain. Yeah, more like Indiana Jones. Yeah. Now, I always thought Space Mountain, I thought they should turn the whole... With the Bumble Snowman. I think, too, with Disney buying Star Wars, they should just turn Tomorrowland into Star Wars Land. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. They can they can just get rid of California Adventure altogether. Just turn it. Imagine if there's a Star Wars land. Imagine if there's Star Wars land. <laughs> that would make. It would make I'm sure they're contemplating so much money now that Disney has those rights. I mean, they've been showing some ads for for Potter World and then the some of the new rides oh, they have like the, there. At Universe Studios. Yeah, some of the new stuff they have, and it looks really cool. You know, they really capitalize on that. Yeah. And, uh, but the reason that Chris Columbus was a big part of yeah, that is because of the sets. There's sets there. It wasn't. Yeah. People f- think that's real. You could touch it. Yeah. That's probably the best modern kid adventure. Might be Harry Potter. It's, that's a runner-up. Yeah. I still think Goonies trumps it. Well, I mean, just in, in a, for a contemporary, you know, for a more modern example. So, what else? What was your favorite scene? Wow. Favorite so scene. Or favorite line. Um, I, I think my favorite scene is in the beginning, first act, when just all the kids are coming over to the house and you have, I think Mouth shows up first at the door. Who knows how he gets past the front door because Chunk seems to get stopped <laughs> at yeah. the gate. Suspension of disbelief required. Yeah. But, you know, Chunk's there and they kind of like... Introduce... Yeah, they go through the window. Right. Yeah, Mouth comes in, they introduce him, and then uh, Chunk's at the door, so they introduce him. Data comes to the window, kind of introduce him. And uh, and there's just... you don't, There's not a whole lot of parents in the movie, right? But you kind of like established real briefly these, who these characters are. Mm-hmm. And then the mom comes home with Rosalita... And uh, and the mom, kind of like for this, like quick moment in the movie, because you never see the dad involved with the kids, right? It's just, right, it's just yeah, the mom until the very end. So the mom, for like this quick moment, sh- like makes you remember that these are kids, because without that scene, I feel like it's it's almost 
too fantastical. Yeah, yeah. But you have this one. You have this one scene where the mom comes in and she, you know, she says, "Don't, don't swear. Like, clean up that mess. Put this away. Like, quit goofing off." And you remember that these are all kids, and there's just like that, the quick moment. It's just, I think even that kind of reality of remembering that these are kids makes me feel like a kid. You know, and if it was just a story... Because you're identifying with it. Yeah, yeah. If it was just a story without those parents involved, uh, yeah, it'd be too suspended, yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's my favorite scene. And um, the thing basically takes place in, like, two days, I think. I mean, they're pretty much... I don't know. I think it's early morning when they finally get out of there. They go out there in the afternoon. Chunk seems pretty upset that he's skipping dinner, so... Yeah. Two whole days. I guess his parents do But it seems to be... Around sunrise when they finally get out of there. Yeah, maybe it's one day. Maybe they just stay up all night and go through the cave. I think that's what it is. It's like, yeah. you know, 12 hours in there or something. Which is a good amount of time. Yeah, Chunk's parents bring him the pizza. It's like, oh, my favorite. One of the most memorable scenes, minus the ones with Sloth. Uh... Sloth is great because it's, it's such an off-kilter sense of humor. Like, you didn't need that character in there at all. But you did, and, and he makes it. Well, he rescues them from the pirate ship, kind of. Yeah, he, he, he's the Calvary that, that comes along. Yeah. Because you can't have Chunk go and bring, like, an adult. Adults are kind of They're not the enemy. <laughs> yeah, adults yeah. are the enemy, exactly, yeah. These Italian... Yeah, and the, the main villain is named Mama, you know. And she mistreats her own kids. Oh, <laughs> And uh, Spielberg it. hates adults. That's what I'm getting at here. Well, he has a big, a big kid inside of him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he he's very much telling his his own experience. Yeah, and it was a great follow up that he did this to to ET. But they're all they're all like this kind of it's the same thing kind of like this like not mad but like the magic of like summer camp, mm-hmm. right? Like kids going to summer camp. It just seems. There's just like this magic to it, and um, I forget what my point was. Well, it's a safe environment, and it's there's a control there. But when we went to summer camp, it was in the woods, and it was in cabins, and it was just fun. It was just playing. the The language of kids is play. That's how they they communicate through play. I guess I want to say there came a point in time when the woods went from being like nature's or I think of like Henry David Thoreau and how he looked at the woods, right? Or John Muir looked at the woods. And then to it was like a political thing. To when the woods became like missed for for a large generation, because there's obviously, you know, early stories early on of I don't know, maybe Dracula or I I don't know, but early stuff we're talking about that involved the woods. Yeah, that the woods are scary, right? But there's and a Hansel whole, and Gretel, you know, a lot of fairy tales. Yeah, Hansel and Gretel, yeah. Woods and but you had a whole generation. It's Bob Crane, yeah. But you had a whole generation that in the '80s that like the summer camp, the woods, the attic, like mm-hmm. the treasure map, you know, the booby traps, like that. That was like what childhood was like. That that it was all caught up in this magic, and you almost got to thank Spielberg for like creating some of like what it meant to be a kid yeah yeah absolutely and he's a great example of the guy running around in his backyard with a, a camera and building sets and building westerns and dressing up the dog as an alien or whatever yeah 
he's he's it, there's so much truth in this art because he's sharing his experience. But yeah, another thing I love is is the piano scene when the floor's falling apart. That's yeah. the that I mean the spike scene with Data when he's falling down in the spikes. There's some danger there, mm-hmm. but you really feel the whole group is in danger with. It gives Stephanie something to do <laughs> to, to contribute. Andy. Oh, is it Andy? Oh, yeah. Stephanie's the the more dorky. Yeah, the glasses. Like the one you shouldn't do too much. Yeah. But yeah, the whole the whole people in danger. And I remember Andy saying in the movie, she's all, you know, I didn't take I haven't taken panel lessons since I was four. four. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm your only hope. So we're screwed. It's just that's such a way that a kid thinks. I was like, no one gave, no parent gave their children piano lessons when they were four years old. <laughs> but that's what it feels like so as a kid. probably a little exaggerated, yeah. Yeah. But that's what it feels like as a kid is I can't do this. You know? And, oh, um, but just the perfect, like, if you, if, like, some was, it's this, per- like, this perfect balance of, like, I'm going to set traps, but I'm going to make them just difficult enough for, like, a 13-year-old group of kids to solve. Yeah. You know, like, I need to, someone in this group. If one kid knows Spanish, they're good. Yeah, if one kid knows Spanish and one kid, like, does just enough tryouts on piano to play a few <laughs> chords, then you're going to make it out, you know. Yeah. Um, the bigger threat is being chased. You know, it's kind of a... Yeah, with guns. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's the great teamwork and the team elements is, is that they, they all bring something to the table. You know, and it's not as um, kind of raw as, like, The Breakfast Club or other types of... Yeah. Even Hughes movies. They're not teenagers yet, you know. Other Hughes movies. I mean, there are the, the three teenagers. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's not... It's just... Um, it's great. It's a very unique sense of humor. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's almost like he wanted to make the anti-ET of, like, let's just make it funny and fun... And throw a lot of that whimsy of, of Temple of Doom. Because there's yeah. a lot of silliness in Temple of Doom that he just goes, yeah, flies his wacky flag. If you remember watching E.T. as a kid, you had like you probably had like nightmares from E.T. Yeah, like, I'd cry people, every time when the they're people, trying to resuscitate him and the doctors. And like and the people in the spacesuits that take over the house. Yeah. Like, that was just, that was kind of like, I didn't watch Close, stuff. Close Encounters until I was older. <laughs> but, um... I mean, those movies are like kind of like more like dark and like uh, they haunt you. Where Goonies is much more lighthearted. Yeah, yeah, and much more. And just seeing like, I love that everybody just yells through line in this movie. It's so because there's a group, they're all trying to have their voice heard, and they just say it with such enthusiasm. Totally. Everything you know, it's uh, it's seeing it through their eyes. Yeah. That's really cool. Do you remember the first time you saw it? Because, I mean, you, you were born when it came out, so it must have been on TV, I imagine. Man. Probably at Grandma's house on cable. I can't, I, have, I can't tell you. Because I, uh, I don't think she had it on VHS. I remember they had Star Wars, of course, and then Ann Jones. We watched those a lot. <laughs> you know, it was played on Disney, and maybe that's why I thought this was a Disney film. Cause it used to we watched the... Kara- the uh, Three ninjas, three ninjas yeah. all the time. <laughs> Watch that a lot. But nothing described mystery of children the way that the Goonies did. Yeah. I don't know if you could argue. I mean, I guess you could argue Finding Nemo. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, Little Nemo. Now I have to ask if if you were to make a movie, would Goonies be an inspiration? Oh yeah. You know. I mean, at this point, I don't have kids, but I'm yeah. getting married and want to have kids and. Um, and you're looking at the Pacific Northwest, you know, I mean... 
Not just that. It's a magical place. But I think that this movie, how did it change my life? This movie created the desire to tell stories the way that Goonies does. Yeah. That, like, you could have... It's the desire to keep your imagination alive with what's around you. Mm-hmm. And that you can get the desire... To keep having the imagination. To keep the imagination, and when you have when you're a parent, to let those kids like get enveloped in mystery and imagination, and yeah. for them to be like, you know, dreamers and inquisitive, and so yeah, this movie changed my life. Yeah. And um, do you remember, like, I know in high school, you used to get together with the guys and go check out, like, haunted places or, <laughs> that were supposedly haunted. I mean, oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, that carried with you. I don't know. I think there's some place in Camarillo you went that was supposed to be haunted. We went to a bunch of places that were the, the haunted houses of a local town and, or towns around us, yeah. Yeah, like, how did you find out about those places? Just online? Uh, some of them are fictional. No, we didn't have the internet then, man. It was like... Yeah. It was, you, know, you get the... You meet at school and you say, do you want to come over? So you're probably trespassing on private property some of the time. Yeah, but that's, it was still okay then. That's true. <laughs> it was like... And Old Agora is a great place for that. It's kind of woodsy back there. But, but this was still in the sense of like, you know, you tell your friends, all right, we'll hang out Thursday. Mm-hmm. And you, you might get a home call when you're home from school that, you know, your parents pick up or something. But you're just expected to be there. And that's what we did. And we all, we all got our wheels. We started going around... To places that were supposed to be haunted. And I remember this one time, we went to an abandoned hospital. Oh, man, that was Where was crazy. that? That was in Oxnard. Okay. So where Channel Islands is, maybe. Because that no, used that to be a, a mental hospital. No, that was another place we went to. Oh, this, this, was, this was further almost to, like, Ventura. And uh, maybe it was Ventura. Yeah. Um, and you went to... There was a security card there, and we literally had flashlights... You know the ones with like, like a was it the Energizer the D battery flashlights with like just yeah the big <laughs> thumb switch on them, and like those sure. those things like never worked. Like the, in the movie, it's like a joke of like the battery you have to hit it to get yeah. it turned on. But it was, that was like the true. real world. Was like the battery wouldn't it like, wouldn't stay twisted, and you had to like slap <laughs> it on your hand to get it to work. They were so heavy. Those things were the worst. <laughs> But uh, anyways, we had a, you know, when the security was looking, we all ran across, like, this, like, courtyard to get into this, like, three-story hospital. We were looking for the mortuary, and, I don't know, we were just kids, like, yeah. exploring, like, this, you know, there's noises that happened, and I, I just remember eating in you and out. You being scared. <laughs> yeah, I remember eating in and out after that, and, um, like, not we almost... survived. <laughs> yeah, not almost feeling, just got so much adrenaline flowing through me still. But, um, yeah, I don't know. And you, you got to know a lot of, um, you know, theme parks that would have, like, Haunted Nights or Magic Mountain. Yeah, no, I, I just, mean, those are a little different. But still, you know, you kind of, you're consistent. Yeah. With those sorts of things. Yeah. You know. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. It's good enough for the Goonies. It's good enough for us. Goonies never say die. This has been... The movie that changed Jared's life. (laughs) 